welcome back to Who's There. I'm your host, Allison. If you're new here, thank you for joining us. This is a podcast where I talk to a new horror fan every week because I hope to destigmatize what it means to be a horror movie fan. Because most of us are just regular people who like the adrenaline rush of being scared for some reason, and here we delve into those reasons. This week, I had the pleasure of chatting with horror writer Brian McCauley. His first book, Curse of the Reaper, is being published in October, so he told me all about his inspiration for the story and how it actually first started as a manuscript when he was in grad school. He told me how surreal it is to have your script turned into a movie, which he's had done multiple times, what his feelings on Scream 5 are, and what movie he'd remake despite liking it the way it is now. One last thing before we get into this episode, if you love the show and haven't left us a review on iTunes yet, I'd be so grateful if you could take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to us. Thank you to everyone who's already left us a review. It's so appreciated as it really helps people to find us. I think that's it. So let's get into my conversation with Brian McCauley. This week, I'm joined by writer Brian McCauley. Brian is a WGA screenwriter who has worked on everything from family sitcoms to horror films. He has an MFA in screenwriting from Columbia, and this year, he's releasing his first novel, Curse of the Reaper. I'm super excited to chat with Brian, so let's bring him on. Hey, Brian, how are you? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so happy and excited to talk to you about horror movies. Do you want to start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself? Sure, yeah. My name is Brian McCauley, and I live in Los Angeles, where I write for film and TV. I've written about five lifetime movie thrillers with titles like Nanny Nightmare and Sorority Nightmare and plenty of other nightmares. And I also wrote and helped produce an indie thriller called Dismissed, starring Dylan Sprouse, which is streaming on Hulu right now. And then on the TV side, I wrote an original TV pilot for Sci-Fi Network called Affliction that was never produced. And then I did write a produced episode of Fuller House for Netflix, which is not exactly horror unless, yeah, depending on your perspective, I guess. And (laughs) yes, as you said, most recently, my debut horror novel, Curse of the Reaper, will be coming out in August or October, rather, sorry. Awesome. I was looking at your credits today and I saw that you had written an episode of Fuller House and... I don't know if you can see them, but like right up there, I have all seven seasons of Full House. I love Full oh House. My, so, oh my God. Loves what? horror, but also loves Full House. So I know. I was the <laughs> one in the room always trying to pitch a Halloween episode and they were like, just relax. It's not happening. Oh, oh, well, good on you. Good on you for trying. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I, I actually watched Dismiss today. It's streaming also on Amazon Prime. So, oh, thank you yeah. for letting me know. Oh, yeah. Thank you for watching. Yeah, yeah. It was good. It was good. I liked it. It kind of reminded me of a little bit of we need to talk about Kevin because it was kind of it got to a point where it was like the dad having to deal with what to do about having a psychopath son. Yes. Yeah. Definitely one of the reference points of uh, a student who is so obsessed with getting a perfect grade and how far they will go, but also to be a parent of a stu- of a child like that. Yeah. And it's really sad that like I read the book Columbine and there is basically nothing that you can do for somebody. Once you realize they're a psychopath, there's like no help for them. Yep. So just there should be homes for people who are psychopaths. I, I agree. A hundred percent. All right. Well, anyway, first things first, what's your favorite scary movie? It's so hard, but I think I have to, I have to go with the movie that really changed everything for me, which was Scream, for sure. I was nine years old when it came out. And (laughs) I just remember renting the VHS with my friend. And it was just so much fun, so scary, so much fun. We actually were doing a backyard camp out that night. So I did not sleep at all. And but it also opened the door for me to like all of the movies that Scream referenced. I was like, well, I have to go watch all of these movies now. 
Nice. Yeah. Scream is one of my favorites as well. So is there any other backstory to how you first fell in love with the horror genre? Yeah, definitely. Books were a big gateway for me. Goosebumps, scary stories to tell in the dark. Um, I do remember like getting not just the book of scary stories from the library, but the cassette tape of like Mm. the recorded version of it and listening to that and just scaring myself silly with it. And then Are You Afraid of the Dark on TV as a kid was a big one. I just... I still, in college, my a few friends and I would get together and call ourselves the Midnight Society and watch old episodes on YouTube because <gasps> that's how cool I was in college. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it still holds up. It's just a delight. And then, yeah, from there, it was like X-Files and Buffy, I feel like was the, was the middle school into high school, like monster of the week TV shows and yeah, and horror movies the whole way through. I mean, my dad was was not big on censorship and took me to see like Blade in theaters when I, I think I was nine or 10 um, <laughs> and Alien Resurrection because I was obsessed with all of those movies. So gratefully, I got to see a lot of stuff early that I probably shouldn't have been watching. <laughs> That's awesome. I think, I think we're around the same age because I definitely remember growing up with Are You Afraid of the Dark? And a couple of years ago, there was a Black Friday sale on Vudu and they were selling the entire series to stream whatever for $9.99. What? So I watched, I rewatched a bunch of the episodes and they're all, they're so good. I watch that every Saturday night. Do you have a yeah. favorite episode? I think, I don't remember what my, I don't have a favorite episode right now, but I remember that my favorite episode growing up was the episode, I think it was called Quicksilver. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember that, that like yeah. monster, the, the silver monster thing. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. So, yeah. So why do you think that people who seem perfectly sane love the horror genre? So this was like, this is a great question because this was like my my studies in undergrad. I actually went to the Gallatin School at NYU, which is oh, cool. a school of like, like individualized yeah. study where you make your own major. Yeah. And literally my major was was writing and horror theory because I knew I wanted to be a writer and I took creative writing and screenwriting classes, but then I studied psychology and philosophy and the horror genre just to try to like dig deeper into like, why do I love this thing? Why do other people love them? And I feel like the biggest thing that I landed on was the, a quote from Wes Craven, who said that horror films don't create fear, they release it, and they're boot camp for the psyche. And I just really love that notion that we already have the fear and the anxiety in us, <laughs> and horror films are just like, let me just bring this out up to the surface and out of your body for you. And also this notion that it's boot camp, that it just trains you for, for real life terrors in a way that I think is actually quite healthy. Yeah, that's awesome. That that quote from Wes Craven, that's like his quote in Scream, horror movies don't create psychos, they make them more original. Right. Yeah. Oh, I never <laughs> even connected that. Yep. What's your favorite subgenre in horror? So I definitely love like psychological horror and then also love slashers. I would say slashers take the cake for me just because I feel like a bad psychological horror movie can just be really boring and tedious if it's done poorly. But for me, even a bad slasher, if, as long as it has the right elements, it's still going to be a fun time. And sometimes they're even better when they're really bad. So I think I would I would lean more towards the slashers. Awesome. I dismissed, I would call more of a psychological horror movie. Have you yeah. ever written, have any of your other movies ever been a slasher? You know... That's a good question. I mean, I I approach the Lifetime movies kind of similar to Dismiss, where it's like there is that psychopathic character and there is an element of 
more so in some of the Lifetime movies that characters are getting kind of killed off on the sidelines, but they're not, you know, masked slasher type stories. But my book, Curse of the Reaper, is about an actor who, like an aging horror film actor who played a slasher villain, like a Freddy Krueger in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And now it picks up in 2005 when he's kind of just uh, withering away, signing autographs for his for very few fans left. And then they announced they're rebooting his franchise. So he gets excited until he finds out that they're kicking him to the curb and casting a younger actor. And as he fights to get his role back, he starts to kind of become the slasher character. So I got to really dig into the genre in the book and actually include script pages of his slasher franchise in it. So I created an oh, eight, cool. eight film slasher <laughs> franchise that ends with the Reaper in space, of course, because they always go to space. Yeah. So it was really fun to just indulge in my love for those those franchises. Oh, that sounds so cool. Oh, that's such an interesting um, premise for a book. So I Thank can't wait you. to read that. Appreciate it. <laughs> Who are your favorite horror directors? Definitely Wes Craven, Guillermo del Toro as well. I just like his love for movies and for monsters especially is just so like palpable in everything that he does. And in any interview I've, I've seen with him, I got to see him talk at an event and just, it's so contagious. He's just like, has so much joy for the genre. Definitely like Jordan Peele and Mike Flanagan as well are, are modern directors that I'm always excited to see what they do next. And then, yeah, I would say the, a movie I just saw on Hulu, which was fresh, that I really want to see what Mimi Cave does, does next because her directing is was outstanding. It was mesmerizing. Oh, yeah, I, I watched that twice in a week. I loved it. Yeah. Oh. It's really just like hypnotic. Like I just, yeah, like you can't look away, but you really want to look away. It was just really, really well directed at that. Yeah, I, I've been following her on Instagram and I think she's already filming something new. I don't know if it's horror, but hopefully it is. Yeah. <laughs> I know some people start in horror and then move away and I'm like no no come back yeah yeah just like a lot of really big actors got their start in like cheesy horror movies and then they go go on like uh Jennifer Jennifer Aniston yep in Leprechaun oh that movie is terrible (laughs) (laughs) so an article came out in 2020 that said that horror fans were handling lockdown better than non-horror fans why do you think that was the case uh I mean, I guess this goes back to that notion of the the boot camp, right? That like, this is literally, this is the war that we've been in training for. And like, I do think there's an element in watching horror that's like, like a self-soothing practice of like, of handling anxiety through this controlled venue. And I think, yeah, I mean, for me, the first book that I read under lockdown was Stephen King's The Stand because I had never read it and I was like you know what this seems like the right book to to get myself uh, ready for what's to come and see uh, how people survive or don't survive that book but yeah I think that we just we know yeah we know how to like settle in with a good horror movie and like ride the waves of, of fear and anxiety through to the end. <laughs> Did that book like help your anxiety or during the pandemic? I think it actually did. I think because it was, you know, such an extreme version of of, like with with, uh, the battle of good and evil of it all that it helped me kind of to to distance myself (laughs) from the real life horrors a little bit. So yeah, highly, highly recommend the the stand. Awesome. I've never read any Stephen King because I think he gets pretty graphic at times, but I want to watch the miniseries that was made about the stand. 
So yeah, that's... yeah. I I didn't watch the new one, but I remember watching the the old one as a kid. But I still haven't revisited yeah. it. Yeah. Did you watch any pandemic horror movies during lockdown? I watched a lot of horror movies, but I'm trying to remember now what. It's so weird how it all becomes a blur. I do remember <laughs> one of the first ones was Invisible Man because I had just missed mm. seeing that in theaters. Yeah, me too. And, me too. And then yeah. yeah, I was like deeply regretful about that not catching it but then it yeah I remember seeing it yeah what getting to watch that at home very cool so in October you're releasing your first novel Curse of the Reaper which is super exciting and you've already given us a synopsis about it how did you come up with the idea for this it was definitely inspired by a few things I mean it was I originally wrote it as a screenplay back when I was in grad school, which is a, quite a long time ago, it was around 2011. So the inspiration back then was actually when A Night Round Elm Street was being remade and Robert Englund was not coming back as Freddy. And he was very gracious about it, but I just couldn't help feeling like, man, you gave your whole, you gave so much to this role. Like, what would it feel like to watch somebody else go and, and play it? And what if a character was so attached to that role that it actually was a part of them in some way and to just push that notion all the way into the <laughs> the psychological slash supernatural like walking that line is is my favorite thing to do and to experience in a story of like is it psychological or is it supernatural and you know what's the difference if a character really is that if they really believe that this thing is real yeah very cool. I have to, I'm looking up Jeffrey Reddick, who wrote Final Destination. He wrote a movie called Don't Look Back, which kind of plays with that. Is it psychological or is it supernatural? So yes. I would highly recommend that you watch it if you haven't seen it yet. I need to see it. And Jeffrey, I met him once at a, at a film festival and he's an incredibly kind human being and has, has created some amazing, amazing films too. Yeah. I mean, Final Destination was so like impactful for people our age in the 2000s. So, so huge, such an underrated franchise. It's oh, just great. So good. Except for the fourth one. The fourth one is terrible. I'm sorry. I know. It's scary. <laughs> <laughs> They're making a sixth one. So I know with John Watts producing, I think the Spider-Man director is producing it, I believe. Yeah. I'm yeah. excited. Yeah. Jeffrey was one of my first guests on this podcast. So I just reached out to him. I was like, oh, I was like, do you want to do this? Because we were all in lockdown. And he was like, sure. So oh, yeah, so he's very nice. Yeah, he's very nice. So is this going to be a standalone novel or will there be a series? That is a good question. I, I definitely have ideas for where it would go beyond this first novel. So I think a big part of it depends on whether or not the book is successful. And then we're also going to be shopping the film and TV rights to see if we can set it up as, as a film or TV show. And so that's all kind of intertwined. So if enough people buy the book and like the book, then hopefully we can, I can keep the story going because it is very much, like I said, built on this notion that these characters and these franchises are never ending. So. Nice. Did you ever hear what Robert Englund thought of not being asked to come back for the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street? I did. Like what I read was only what was in the press, which was, he was very gracious about it. Everything I've heard and read about him is he's just like a stand-up, amazing human being. But yeah, another piece of inspiration for the story was actually when Heath Ledger passed and uh, Jack Nicholson was informed of Heath Ledger dying and he said, I warned him. And there was like this speculation of like, oh, that the role of the Joker is so, was so impactful that it could be, that it could have this impact on somebody. And, 
you know, I, I certainly don't want to like make light of, of what he went through and what but the notion that this role is like more than just a role is just like where I took it into this territory of it being like a horror, a horror character who could have that sway over people. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think Robert Englund may, he, you know, lucked out because I didn't really like the remake that much. Yeah, it it was, it was a bummer. I, I feel like they really did not lean into the creativity of what that franchise is about for me. And they, they kind of did the gritty, dirty version that just wasn't as I, I, what I like about Freddie is that he's very specific in the way that he attacks people and he like hones in on your fear and then it turns it into this like phantasmagorical set piece of like a cockroach <laughs> in <laughs> Roach Motel. But I feel like the remake was just kind of bland, slashery type stuff. So boring. Yeah. I think I watched it Halloween weekend last year and I was like, I'm going to fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not going to be afraid about it either. Yes. Um, what is your favorite uh, remake from the 2000s or 2010s? Ooh, that's a great question. I, I had a really good time with My Bloody Valentine 3D. And that was a film where I didn't really have any big attachment to the original. Like I really had a hard time with the Texas Chainsaw remake and the Friday the 13th remake because I was, I was, especially at that age, I feel like I was really on my high horse about just like, this is a travesty. But My Bloody Valentine, I was like, I didn't really have a big attachment to the original. And the 3D factor in theaters was actually super effective, I thought, and made it a fun time at the theater. So, yeah. Oh, cool. I, I saw the remake of My Bloody Valentine, but I watched it at home like two years ago. So I didn't get to see it in 3D. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of the Texas Chainsaw 2022 remake that came out this year? I thoroughly enjoyed it. And Thank I, you. I just don't, I mean, people are getting real hateful about it. And I just don't, I was shocked because to me, it was really effective and efficient. I loved that it was like, not even 80 minutes long because it was just like this is going to be a non-stop roller coaster yeah and it it totally to me pulled and also I thought it was really well directed like I thought there was I don't want to like get into spoilers but there were a few sequences that had these nice visual reveals that I was like really they were really tense yeah I like them there are some great kills so yeah oh yeah I don't understand the hate that it gets I I mean I personally I found it to be the most captivating Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie that I've seen because I find the original kind of boring so and then the 2003 was just the same thing as the original yeah I tried to revisit the remake the 2003 recently to see if like I was wrong about not liking it I was like I think I was right it just didn't didn't do it for me yeah yeah it was just so that Jessica Biel could run around in a tank top yep yeah yeah so you've written a couple horror thriller movies. What was it like to write those and then have them produced and made into movies? What was that like? It's definitely a surreal, surreal experience. And every one of them has been a totally different experience. Um, you know, at least one of those Lifetime movies, every single word got rewritten, uh, but I'm still the only credited writer. And then there are some of them where I wish that somebody had rewritten (laughs) my script more. So it is, yeah, it's just, I feel like this is another reason that I have come back to a place of like being really less critical and judgmental of films because I know how hard it is Mm -hmm. and how many things have to go right in order for a film 
to, to come together and how many cooks are in the kitchen and all of that. So it's just, I, I try to just look for like the good of like, even if there's just like a scene or a sequence where I'm like, that was great. That came together really well. And that is enough to, to, to say, to applaud the, the efforts because yeah, that, that what I say is my big experience is that it's just, it's a lot, a lot that has to come together, but I'm super grateful that I've, I've got to have that experience. Awesome. Do you have any ideas or any scripts that you're working on right now for upcoming horror movies? I have some things brewing. And now, now that I've written this novel, I kind of have this kind of back and forth with a few different ideas where I'm like, well, I wrote this as a script, but is that actually better as a novel? And then I do, you know, I'm, you know, I'm also pitching on different open writing assignments and opportunities. And I had one project that was very close to going and I was literally about to sign the contract and then everything fell apart on the financing side. So that is another factor of, of the reality of, of Hollywood is just the, the instability of, again, all of those factors have to come together, but that's why I found that working on books has just been pure, like pure delight. And just like, I don't have to worry about anything, but just like getting the story on the page. Yeah. Awesome. So is Curse of the Reaper already done? It is done. There are, we're just now finalizing like the digital advanced reading copies and printing off some copies to send to like review outlets and things like that. So this is, you've caught me at like the most anxious moment of like, (laughs) oh, people are actually about to read this thing now. And that feels very vulnerable, but also really exciting. I'm very excited to be able to share it and to go on, on the journey of, I can't believe there's still like six more months before publication (laughs) that I get to get to ride this anxiety wave, but no, I'm really excited that, that people get to read it soon. Well, that's, that's very exciting. So how do you decide what horror movie to watch when you're just hanging out and looking for a movie to watch? Definitely, you know, depends, depends on my mood. Another big factor is that my partner is not a huge fan of horror movies. So I'll have to kind of see what, what I can convince her (laughs) is like, it's not going to be too scary. (laughs) Like the other night we watched the night house and I was like, okay, so there's this movie that just came out. It's going to be pretty spooky, but it's like, you know, it's not going to be really bloody or gory. And yeah, so we, we watched that the other night. But it's, yeah, I, I think that a big part of it for me too is just like what's left that I haven't seen. So it's most, mostly new stuff that's coming out. Um, but I feel like it's also tough sometimes to sit, like sift through the Netflix stuff that and like watch a little snippet and be like, is this going to be worth an hour and a half? Yeah. Well, for your partner, I would recommend, not that you asked, but maybe try start with a PG-13 horror movies. Because they're very psychological, but they're not gory. Yeah. No, I think that's so. a great recommendation. That's like the, the the way to ease into it for sure. Yeah. You show her the others or the ring. Yeah. The ring is a little bit more intense. But oh my yeah, that is that that one really <laughs> messed me up. Although we did we did go see X in theaters together and oh, she cool. really enjoyed it. Yeah. Cause I think I think that as long as they have that tone of like fun to them, you know, which yeah. that for me that movie was yeah. That's cool. Uh, I saw, I saw X on opening night and then I went to go see it again last night. So my friend that I went to go see it with last night, it was over and the lights went up and he's like, oh God. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, I just knew this was about them making a porno and that's, that's it. That's all I knew. Oh no, it's going for a totally different movie. Yep. (laughs) Are there any horror movies that you won't watch or that you won't watch ever again? I... 
Yeah, and I think this is the the answer I've heard most people say on your podcast, which is like Last House on the Left. It just the and any sort of like rape revenge movies. I'm just like I if I've seen one of them, I don't need to see any more. And yeah, and and I I saw The Nightingale, which I thought was phenomenal, really hard to watch, yeah. but also really impactful in the end. And I also just think that's the difference between a woman behind the camera as well make that of having that impact in the end yeah cool yeah i'm not a fan of rape revenge movies either but if you haven't seen revenge yet it's on shutter i would recommend that i need to and it's been recommended and i just yeah now it's okay I have it's no really choice. good yeah there's not a whole lot of rape in it but it's mostly just her being a badass so. yeah love that part love that part of the movie yeah and she wears these hot pink earrings i love it Yes. Uh, so I don't know if you've gotten back to going to movie theaters yet, but have you ever had any noteworthy experiences seeing a horror movie in theaters? Yes. And wow, the return to movies, like I wept in the theater going like <laughs> to be back in a theater. I did not expect it to be so emotional. I think Candyman was the first one that I saw. And oh, then, cool. but yeah, experiences, the, a big one for me was when I was in high school Freddy vs. Jason came out and it was the first time I got to see either Freddy or Jason on the big screen and it was opening night. And I remember even specifically where I was in the theater, like I had really shitty seats, like really way too close to the front and off to the right, but it was packed house. It was just like such a fun experience because it was such like the peak of me having just binged all those movies on DVD and seeing them on the screen was huge. And then in LA, gratefully, there's all sorts of great like revival theaters. So a big re- memory for me was going to the new Be- Beverly Cinema, which is Quentin Tarantino owns it. And he only oh, cool. plays like 35 millimeter prints from his own collection. And he screened a, a, an old print of the creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D, which oh, wow. like we had like the, the red and blue mm-hmm. glasses. And it was so fun. And there was someone dressed up in a full creature costume <laughs> greeting people. So that was super fun. Oh, that's cool. Speaking of those artsy movie houses, I'm going to the Nighthawk in Brooklyn this Monday to go see 1999's House on Haunted Hill in 35 millimeter. It's going to be, it's, it's, I, that movie is so jarring, but it's also so cheesy and bad. Yep. So yeah. I, I love, there's, there was that spat of movies. I mean, I'm a big fan of nineties horror movies in general, that, cause that was the generation that I grew up in. And I think that one, like 13 Ghosts, they're just like, there was this bad of those movies that just were like, there's imagery that's just ingrained in my brain forever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, um, that's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. The theater is like half sold right now, so I'm hoping it fills up, but we'll see. Yeah, Nighthawk is a great theater too. I used to live over there. Yeah. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, no, I love them. I discovered them when I went to the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival for the first time last year because they yeah. use they use the venues for a lot. And then I saw I saw the ring on Halloween night in 35 millimeter there, which I was like, yes, it's my favorite. So wow. Oh, that's so yeah. cool. I remember seeing the ring in theaters. Yeah. It, yeah. Oh, it's so good. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> what has been your favorite horror movie that you've watched so far in 2022? I think either X or Scream, I guess Scream Scream 5 is what I yeah. keep wanting to call it. Yeah, I think Scream 5, probably because my expectations were so, like, I really wanted it to be good, and I was really scared that it wouldn't be. 
and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I just was very impressed with what the filmmakers pulled off with it and just had a good time at the theater. Like it was a good crowd and yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I loved it. I was also very nervous. I was like, I hope it's going to be better than four. Cause I really didn't like four yeah. and it felt like the original one, but like a little bit more current. So. Yeah. And I thought there was genuine, I was de- genuinely scared and tense yeah. for a lot, a lot of sequences in that movie, which does, is not the case often. It's, it's really, it was really impressive. Yeah. I loved the misdirection that all the trailers showed for the, uh, for the main opening. So I was so happy that they did that. Yeah. Ugh. I just got it on Blu-ray. So I watched it already once. Nice. Yeah. On the flip side, what horror movie are you most looking forward to seeing in the rest of 2022? I, so there's a movie coming out called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies that is, it played at South by Southwest and it's A24 is releasing it, who did X and um, it's one of those situations where I don't know much about it other than it's a slasher with comedic elements and I'm trying my best to not find out anything more (laughs) about it because I don't, I hate being spoiled. So yeah, I'm just kind of like, it's on my radar, but I'm trying to keep it on the outskirts of my radar. Yeah. There is, there's a new Hellraiser coming from the, yeah. the, the, the writing and directing team who did The Night House and then Spyglass, the company who produced the new screen. So I'm kind of like, mm. that feels like the right mix for a yeah. potentially good reboot. Yeah. Isn't it with a, with a female pinhead too? Yes. Yeah. That's which what, is also that's what makes me excited about that. Cause I've seen Hellraiser, just the first one. And I was like, this is not for me. Yep. But <laughs> No, I think that this will be a good, the, the right team to kind of mix it up and do something different with it. Yeah. Are there any horror movies that you love that people generally don't like, or do you have any um, hot takes on anything? Well, we covered the new Texas Chainsaw, but you know, like a movie I don't hear a lot of people talk about that I love is Pumpkinhead. Have you seen okay. Pumpkinhead? I have not. I've heard of it, but I have not seen it. It like Stan Winston directed it and he was like the creature creator, like the greatest. And yeah, it's just this really cool, like, folk horror revenge story. And Lance Henriksen from Aliens is is in it and excellent. And yeah, it's just one of those movies uh, that just, like, I love the vibe of it. And I understand why people don't love it. But yeah, I just think it's super fun and more people should check it out. Awesome. I will, I will put it on my list then. If you could remake one horror movie, which one would it be? Ooh. So I think this, I mean, this kind of perhaps a cop out because it's connected back to my book of like the Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which I really enjoy and love and appreciate for so many reasons. And it's like the meta story of like Freddy Krueger becomes real and haunts Heather Langenkamp who played the final girl in the first movie. But basically like my feeling was like, I'm more interested in like Robert Englund like and him being haunted by the character because he's the one who really inhabited Freddy and what would that look like and that kind of was what I spun off to write a book about but I don't I don't hate New Nightmare I think it's just like such a great concept and so fun that I found it really inspiring though awesome my last question is if you had to spend quarantine with one horror villain who would it be oh um I think, I mean, I guess now I have Pinhead on the brain and I'm just like, let's get weird. Like quarantine's too long. (laughs) It's too boring. He has such sights to show me. 
it's probably more entertaining than Netflix. So let's, yeah, let's check it out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Do you want to tell everyone where they can find you on the internet and order your book? Yeah, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Brian McWriter. So that's B-R-I-A-N-M-C-W-R-I-T-E-R. And yeah, you can order my book anywhere. Books are sold from Amazon. Bookshop.org is where you can find your local indie shop to support, which I highly recommend. And yeah, you can pre-order it now for October 4th. It's called Curse of the Reaper. Awesome. Can't wait to read it. Uh, Thank you again for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Allison. That's it for this week's episode of Who's There? I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Brian McCauley, and thanks again to Brian for coming on. I'll leave links to his socials in the show notes, as well as where you can pre-order his book, Curse of the Reaper. You can follow us on Twitter at Who's There Pod, or on Instagram at Who's There Podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, horror movie recommendations, or you'd like to be a guest, shoot us an email at whostherepc at gmail.com. Until next time, stay scary and get vaccinated. <laughs>